It seems like everyone I know is being diagnosed with an autoimmune condition, ADHD, and at some point we have to stop and question the diagnosis and the root cause. Stay tuned to today's episode to find out more. Welcome back to the Evolving Wellness Podcast. My name is Sarah, and today I have Dr. Ed Caddy on the show to talk about these issues with the nervous system, with autoimmune conditions, how these are being really, really diagnosed, and what are some of the underlying causes? How does the nervous system come into play? What are the limitations of allopathic medicine? how some people still need to follow that model, and then what's wrong with that system in the first place, the allopathic standard medical model. This was a really fun and informative conversation that I think you're really going to enjoy. And I really encourage you to head into the show notes, follow Dr. Ed, look at some of his work as well, because I think he's going to have a lot more wonderful information coming out in the coming weeks, months, and years. So absolutely check out his information. So we're going to get into the episode, but before we do that, I want to thank a couple of sponsors for helping to get today's episode out. The first one is going to be Viva Rays. We talk a ton in this episode about the importance of light and circadian rhythms. So my go-to source for protecting my circadian rhythms is Viva Rays. You can use my code YOGI to save on their circadian glasses as well as their eye masks and earplugs. And another thing that Dr. Ed talks about often is deficiencies, mineral deficiencies, how this can play a role in psychiatric manifestations and other physical manifestations. My go-to source for checking mineral balance is upgraded formulas. You can use my code YOGI12 or YOGI if you've already used that one before to check out their amazing minerals. I love their magnesium. It is a nanoparticle technology, so it actually bypasses the gut if you're someone with gut issues who can't really absorb things very well. This is a great solution. So again, check out upgraded formulas. My code there is YOGI12 or YOGI for you to save. And if you're watching on YouTube, make sure to hit the like button, leave us a comment. If you're on the audio only platform, we would love it if you could head on over to Apple or Spotify and leave the show up to a five-star review so we can keep getting these conversations out to more and more people. I think it is crucial that we keep talking about these topics in this way, especially as our conventional medical system continues to break down, be overrun and just have issues. All right, that's enough for me. Let's jump into today's show. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the show. I am very thrilled to have today's guest, Dr. Ed Caddy here today. And we're going to talk about whatever comes up, but really bridging this gap between decentralized medicine and centralized medicine. And I think he's got a really wonderful story to share and a lot of wonderful, brilliant knowledge. So Dr. Ed, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much. It's uh, it's always nice to be invited on a new podcast and speak to a new audience. So I appreciate it. And I also appreciate that you think I have a lot of knowledge. Sometimes it comes up, sometimes it doesn't. So we'll, we'll see where the conversation goes and what we can what we can dig up. I think you, you probably know a lot more than you think you do <laughs> once you start talking and get in front of the right topic. It's I think I, it, it comes out. So um, yeah, I'm excited to see where it goes, but maybe you could just tell my audience a little bit about yourself, your history and, and what it is that you do. Yeah. So I have different threads of my past that are now kind of converging into one place, but I, I studied, um, 
math, physics, chemistry, and biology before going to university, was very interested in the very technical side of science and went to study biochemistry for four years, published in the mTOR pathway, nutrient sensing and amino acid metabolism. And that was all with the kind of scope of uh, whatever's fashionable in science. So at that time, it was cancer metabolism, and it kind of still is. Um, as Jack Cruz would say, they're probably looking in the wrong places for that. But um, again, uh, my story has gone in the right direction since then. I wanted to, I wasn't sure where I was going to go from biochemistry, but I knew that I was interested in in nutrition and uh, physical exercise. And that's kind of where my background has stemmed from. But I spent time in special educational needs. So like working with children with autism and other kind of behavioral dysregulation, um, traumatic brain injuries when they were younger, that kind of thing. And I really enjoyed the kind of behavioral element to all of this because I think what we forget about in, in the health field is that we can know all of these details, but it's actually helping people uh, implement the science in their daily life because we all have busy lives. Um, we all know, most of us know what we need to do to be optimal in most ways, but it's actually how do we do our best in our day-to-day -day life. So mm -hmm. at that moment, I decided I need to work with people. So I went to medical school and I was a fairly open-minded medical student, unlike most of my colleagues who were much younger than me at the time in the UK, um, and continued listening to podcasts all the way through medical school. So I think some of the early ones were Tim Ferriss um, mm -hmm. and went from him to kind of Joe Rogan, Ben Greenfield. And then when you go into Ben Greenfield's world, you kind of come up with biohackers and other doctors mm -hmm. doing different things. So I came across... Various people have had an influence on me, one being Dr. Sarah Myhill uh, in the UK, and then Dr. Ted Achikoso, who founded the Health Optimization Medicine and Practice. And as well as this, I started to develop back pain when I was at medical school, um, mm -hmm. which has led me into understanding the origins of the pain and what we experience as pain. Um, and it not always necessarily being a physical thing, but it can be a mental or an emotional um, trigger or stimulus so i started working with um i went to his seminars as my friend richard and since 2019 so i graduated medical school did his seminar and since then i've been in parallel starting a career in psychiatry but also seeing clients as a health optimization medicine doctor and also using movement as medicine so to speak um, and now have a practice where i kind of combine all of these things at the same time is doing a PhD in neuroscience. Uh, so I'm fairly busy, but that is basically where we are to today, I think. And just on the topic of a topic of what you mentioned at the start, this I'm I'm trying to bridge the conventional healthcare system to these more decentralized models because um, as we were talking before, there is a need for conventional doctors. Mm -hmm. And there's a particular need for conventional doctors that are open-minded and have compassion and are willing to go beyond the scope of the algorithms for their patients to advocate for their patients. And I was meeting up with an old friend um, this morning who she's a conventional GP here in England, and she's trying to really push a, a wellness practice. So she has acupuncture she has dance therapy she has all sorts of different types of therapies in her practice and obviously we get on because i'm fairly open to all of these things and i think whatever works for somebody is something that you should explore 
so yeah, that's uh, that's where we are today. And now I'm here speaking to you. Fascinating. And I heard you speak on another podcast that you also were kind of taken in and got into more of an alternative view from uh, doctor, not doctor, but Charles Poliquin's work mm, yeah. um, as well, which is interesting. I have Rob Jacobs is a good friend of mine. He's been on the podcast several times. He was uh, one of Poliquin's top 100 coaches and that oh, kind okay. of led me into looking at things a bit differently when it comes to hormones and biology and just another another alternative view when it comes to our health. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you bridge this gap? I mean, we know that we need these medical doctors. We know that I think that it's necessary as much as us as, you know, those of us in the alternative health space want to swear it all off. I think there is a place for it. So how do you really, how do you do that? And how do you create that conversation? Yeah. So this is one of my big goals for the, this year and the next couple of years is how, how do I do this? The first thing is remaining enough of a validated member of the conventional system that I don't pull myself far too far away that people start to think, oh, he's doing something a bit too different. And it's a bit, um, people get very defensive when they don't understand fully what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, the good thing is I'm fairly fresh out of medical school and I graduated in 2019. So I have a lot of friends who are now becoming, um, surgeons, uh, gynecologists, whatever you want in lots of different specialties. And they remember me from medical school as somebody who studied hard, understood things well, could help people if they needed help understanding things and can still get in touch with me. And as an example, I had somebody that I met at medical school who suffered with OCD. And because of the movement work that I do, they were interested and they came over, um, spent a weekend with me. And we ended up doing, I think, probably five hours of movement on the Saturday. And that night they had no negative thoughts at all. They slept all night long. Then we did another two or three hours the next day um, and have... I gave them the homework, which is basically a few different muscles that they need to connect to, to allow them to not have those negative thought patterns coming up. And since then, I haven't really heard back from them other than they've taken a different direction in life, gone to Australia to practice medicine there, and they're doing really well. So wow, it's, it's slowly showing my colleagues that there is another way. And the, the biggest mentor I've had in that realm is... Dr. Ted Achikoso. So he Mm -hmm. created this practice, health optimization medicine and practice, which is designed to sit along conventional medicine in that. So functional medicine doctors, they look at the root causes um, of disease, but they find themselves at odds with the medical system just because of the way they choose to practice. Um, And neither is good or bad. They just have have a particular type of person that they work well with. The health optimization medicine view is that we don't see patients, we see clients. And the the viewpoint is that, that everybody has the potential to be healthy and we just make sure that they have these foundational elements of their health um, checked, uh, measured, and we look for imbalances, deficiencies, and subtle toxicities and make sure that they're dealt with. So we have this really nice framework that any specialist from any medical system could say, 
you need to have your deficiencies, imbalances, and mm -hmm. soil toxicities checked. So they'll come to a health optimization medicine practitioner or doctor who will deal with that, just like a cardiologist would look at an ECG or a neurologist would look at an EEG or uh, blood tests, and then we would work together. So it's it's coming up with something that's not too far away from what the system currently does, which is blood tests to mm -hmm. uh, identify, diagnose, and treat diseases. But we look at blood tests, stool tests, urine tests to detect and correct imbalances. So we're very careful about the language that we use. Um, and my goal is, so I'm, I'm taking on a few clients locally and hopefully over time, I've already had physios reaching out being like, what have you done? My client who had osteoarthritis of the right hip, they don't seem to have hip pain anymore. What, like, what did you do? Um, people with diabetes, the HbA1c levels are coming down getting people to ask questions to be curious but not necessarily saying i'm better than you um i'm doing something different to you so i, I want to keep the communication open and hopefully the hostility doesn't come my way i'm sure at some point i might struggle with some of my colleagues who again they don't want to look at the biochemistry or they don't want to know about these things um it's a very difficult place to be a doctor in the uk at the moment because they are underpaid, they're overworked, and they yeah. they just do not have time to understand some of the concepts that we know very well in, in our communities that um, very simple things they can do for their health. But it's for me, it's slowly introducing those things, and then somebody feels better, and then they tell their doctor, or the doctor does it themselves, so they feel better, and then the whole kind of community improves its health. Yeah, I think, I mean, we have a very similar situation and uh, Dr. Sarah Pugh stayed here with me for six weeks and both children, she saw how both my kids, my 15 month old and my daughter were kind of treated by the medical system. So she got to see, and she said, it's worse here in the US than it is in the UK. She was shocked. You know, my son had this little, um, these little spots on his, on the back of his leg and under his neck. And I took him to the uh, allergist. And he's like, he needs an oral steroid and a topical steroid. And, uh, I was like, I know that's not right. I know that's not right. And so it was a little viral infection and I was able to treat it with a topical, uh, homeopathy and now it's totally gone. And I didn't do the steroids because it was a virus, you know, you don't want to suppress a virus with steroids. And she saw that she was like, so they just sent, spent five minutes with you, scared the life out of you. Cause he's like, if you don't do this, if you don't give him the steroids, he's, uh, he's going to get even sicker. It's going to irritate his skin. He's going to be miserable. And I was like, you know, five minutes in and out. And that's just how it is here. And I, I don't think that the doctor necessarily, or any of these doctors get into the medical profession and have ill intent for people, it's just unfortunately the way that the system is set up. I think they don't have the time, like you said, to look deeper into some of these things or to look at something like homeopathy as an alternative treatment or look at photobiomodulation or uh, you know some of the things that we that we talk about more in the um, you know the decentralized model. Yeah. And so it's it's it doesn't set up the patient for success, and then I think it sets people to a point where they hate doctors and won't deal with them at all. And then they might not get the help that they need. So it's like, I think it's important to have these conversations of like, how do we find a balance? And ultimately, 
how do we help the patient? And if what I'm understanding correctly, you are trying to create a model where people are going in for preventative care to support their bodies and their mitochondrial health so that they don't get to the point where they have a cancer or a severe disease. And it's like, now we have to rush to the suppressive therapies. Am I correct in saying that? Or Yeah, I would say, so there's two points. The conversations I would have is one to the the patient or the client or whatever word you want to use is mm-hmm. the responsibility is in your hands mm-hmm. um, rather than in the the doctors, the but doctor. they will work with you. Um, and when we talk about centralized and decentralized and what needs to change, I think the real change has to come from the people that want the care. So um, I think doctors are very quick sometimes to reach for the steroid creams or the antibiotics, but actually yeah. it, it in some cases, because let's say they have to see, I know some GPs that would try and see 30 to 40 patients a day because they need to. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. let's say 25 or more of them are the ones that are asking, I need the antibiotics. I need the steroid cream because last time it helped. Mm-hmm. And the pressures are so much that the GP will eventually have to do that thing over and over again. And then when it comes to the patients that want the other solution, they the, their perspective is shifted by the, the majority that um, doesn't allow them to have the counterfactual. And I say I would say to my colleagues who are quick to prescribe the steroid cream is, do you know the natural um, systems in the body that produce ACTH and cortisol? Do you understand mm. the biochemistry? Let's talk about the circadian rhythm, which controls the cortisol cycle and the, the pro-OPO melanocortin axis, which again will lead to the production of ACTH and cortisol. So I find myself, again, I have access to medical students in, in the position that I'm in and when I was on the wards and I would have these conversations with them because I'm wearing yellow glasses and I they ask me why I'm wearing the yellow glasses and then I can have a really long conversation um, about light. And they're like, well, how come we don't learn this at medical school? And I say, because this is all fairly new stuff. And if you are going to be a better carer, practitioner, healthcare provider, you are going to have to go beyond what you were taught at medical school, because there's so much out there that you have no idea. And usually it's a case of there's no literature to back that up being mm-hmm. false. It just, you haven't gone to read it because you can type mm-hmm. most things into PubMed now and you'll probably find it. And if you can't go to somebody like Jack Cruz's page and just follow it for a couple of weeks, and then you'll see a paper that um, it blows your mind if you're a medical mm-hmm. practitioner. And if you're open to those papers, you you can really have some clinical wins and you can give patients. And if you're a patient, you can ask for these options too, is things that are very low risk that you could do every day for free that will help. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's the the way that I can bridge and the way that we should bridge is there's some really basic things that everybody can do. And mm-hmm. if you look at generally how modern society is, is created, we can see the imbalances and the deficiencies and some of the obvious ones would be sitting down too much, being indoors mm-hmm. too much, um, mm-hmm. not taking your shoes off enough. Uh, having access to too much food or the wrong foods. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And disrupted circadian rhythms. I mean, the 
the literature on that is extensive. You know, if you talk about it, a lot of people will get all up in arms. I get people constantly, like just before I logged on to here, I had this woman kind of go off on me in one of my comments. Well, how the heck am I supposed to see sunlight in the morning first thing when I have to do all these other things first and I am busy and I'm I'm like, well, all you got to do is put on a pair of blue blockers. And then when the sun comes up, you just go outside. Instead of hemming and hawing and getting all mad at me <laughs> about telling you how your biology works, just get a pair of glasses. You can get a cheap pair, Spectra 479. Try it out and see if it doesn't make you feel better. Put them on when the sun goes down. It's not uh, horribly difficult, I think, for, for people to buy a pair of glasses. And, and I think it can make a huge difference. Would you agree? Yeah, or just actually repurposing their sunglasses that they wear when they're outdoors, just tell them to put those on before and after the sunrise and the sunset. And then if they have, again, time and money to go buy the blue blockers, then do that afterwards. But just uh, just dimming the lights. Um, it's, yeah. it's whatever. Um, there's certain clients and that need to be stricter from the start because they're yes. in such a severe condition. Yes. And there's some people that need to walk the path of, oh, that made me feel better. I'll try the next step and the next step. Um, I think that's the that's the part that I really enjoy and that both the decentralized and the centralized system um, struggle with sometimes is they have their algorithms or this should work for you or this has worked for mm -hmm. other people, but actually this is why you pay for coaches this is why you pay for courses is because there's a lot of nuance behind this and yes um you yourself work with clients and sarah and um all of the types of people that we, we give information on podcasts but yes. when when we're one-to-one -one or when we're in a group or doing a course there's so much more nuance to your specific so case that mm -hmm. i think again people like very simplistic approaches oh i just need to do this and then everything will be fine no the like there is some hard work that needs to be done and there's some yes. consistent dedication to these practices. Um, and if you're not willing to put in that work, then maybe you do need a centralized approach. They will give you a medication and it will reduce your risk over the next 20 years if you're unwilling to make the behavioral changes that are necessary. Um, and it's that's there's no judgment there from myself. Yeah. It's just what what is somebody willing to do for their health? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it, it's challenging because we want to put the information out there. And I have people that message me on a daily basis, via email or Instagram saying, I did all the things in your free resources and wow, I'm doing so much better. I feel so much better. I have so much more energy, but I've, you know, I've maybe got some stubborn weight that won't come off or I've got this lingering issue. And I'm like, well, that's when we need to get more nuanced and maybe join a course, pay for something or pay for a consultation one-on-one -on -one with one of my colleagues, or, you know, that's when we have to sit down and do an inventory and maybe look at your health history. Because if somebody has had dysregulated cortisol and leptin resistance for 30 years, mm -hmm. doing a few weeks of sunrise and blocking blue light at night is going to be helpful, but there's probably a lot more that they need to implement um, <laughs> throughout the course of their day in the 24 hour time span. Right. Yeah. And this is what I've gone towards with um, the movement work that I do that 
Mm. I hope at some point becomes a movement-assisted psychotherapy or something along those lines in that um, what I do with Richard is we call them movement ayahuasca retreats. And there's a lot of behaviors that people have that self-sabotage and they'll Mm. do well for a couple of weeks and then they'll revert back and it's a to and fro. Um, So it's being able to... There's so many ways you can do therapy. Um, You can go to different shaman, you can go to different psychotherapists, EMDR, all of these things, usually we Mm. have um, changed the way that we behave because of a stressful event in our past. Yes. And um, yeah, you might have, um, as you say, dysregulated uh, hormone cycles, definitely leptin resistance in in many cases. And um, it might be related to a PTSD or something like that, which will always come back unless you get on top of that. that, uh, Mm -hmm emotional block and again this is where i try and be loose in that those things don't always have to have a talking therapy solution and the movement work that i do has taken me down a path where in some cases i've seen people overcome things in half an hour an hour that probably should have taken five ten twenty years Mm. um but they need to come in the context of well as dealing with uh, your cellular mitochondrial health too, because I see the body as almost um, you have all of these layers. So I don't know if you've seen, I'm sure you have Michael Levin's work. So he's been talking about the electric fields that are manipulatable around cells. And I'm sure this mm-hmm. is kind of coming off the back of um, DC electric Be- Becker's work. Yes. Um, and so there's this electronic field around a cell that can be changed, and that changes the cell without changing the DNA. So this is one layer, but we also have society, so you can change how you interact with people, and that's going to change your biochemistry and how your health is. You have the layer all the way down in the mitochondria, the biochemical layer. You can change that layer with the testing, clinical metabolomics, maybe supplementation or changing your diet, making sure you have different nutrients on board. Or there's the quantum level where you can change the light that you're exposing yourself to. Um, It's a hard layer or level to measure at the moment just because we don't really Mm -hmm. have the tools to do so. And then the the other layer is um, the one I like working with is the nervous system and uh, the neural output to muscles because you can tell a lot I believe, um, about how somebody responds to stress just by the way that they move under stress. So Mm -hmm. when I do movement work with people, um, I stress them out. But the way that they respond to that stress tells me a lot about how they respond in the rest of their life. So it opens Mm -hmm. up a way for me to guide them um, with their dietary changes or with their whatever practices they want to do. It's seeing that some of them might work at this time, some of them might not work, allowing them to be more present in their body, have less of that hyper arousal state will allow them to make the better choices. Mm. So people kind of stuck in like nervous system, like the sympathetic zone where they're just dominant there, can't get out of it. I think that that, that impacts autoimmune conditions, um, how well you can fight off infections, all of it. And I think that's the root. I've been looking into a lot of this 
um, for my daughter because we've had a, a lot of neurological challenges over the last uh, year and a half. And yeah, we're utilizing a neurologist. I've begged, borrowed, and stolen to get her with the head of neurology of the children's hospital, who's been excellent, just very, very care, very care centric and kind. Um, but I'm always going to be looking for the root. And, you know, yeah, we can do some suppressive therapies to kind of put the fire out. But I'm always like, she's her nervous system is, and the brain and the way that she's responding is, I think, one of the big problems with these neurological issues that are manifesting and becoming more and more serious. And I'm just really thinking about people and their health and how much this, um, the baseline of the nervous system is really, really part of it, you know, and I think mm -hmm. you have to have this whole, a whole, like doing the circadian work, doing the grounding, the light, all of that is actually going to be very supportive of nervous system work, I think, um, and integrates beautifully. But I think so many people are in missing that nervous system piece. And I think there's more than one way to do it. There's people who are purist mm -hmm. about nervous system. I think that there's not one path specifically that there's different ways people can look at it. But Carrie and I, um, Carrie Bennett and I have started seeing people have like paradoxical reactions to red light therapy where they do red light therapy and they are like, oh, I feel terrible. I've made me sick. You know, they're having mm -hmm. like terrible reactions to things like grounding. And I'm like, nervous this is going back to your nervous system so yeah i'd love to hear a little bit more about how you if you if, if i'm on the if i'm on the right track one and then you mentioned some movement practices and things that you do with people like what that holistic view kind of like what does that look like exactly yeah. so um lots of things i can talk about there so the the, the red light thing is very interesting and i've actually seen a case of um hypersensitivity to to light as well mm -hmm. uh this definitely plays a role and I, again this is why i always try and look at things from the imbalance or deficiently perspective because mm -hmm. red light could be potentially not good if somebody is not getting enough blue or uv because mm -hmm. they're they're an arch and if you they balance each mm -hmm. other out the, the sun has its own spectrum ideally we're in yes. it all of the time Yes, but if you were constantly in a dark room and you never went outside and you only ever got red light, and red light. you would you would eventually need more blue and you would need more mm -hmm. UV because our yes. body's expecting the shift as the seasons and the days and all of that stuff changes. Um, so that would be that nuance. And then there's some very cool work coming from a guy called Robert Navio, um, mm -hmm. who basically explains how cells from a very primitive stage experience stress in exactly the same way. So the pathways that you engage when you're stressed are exactly the same at the biochemical level on the one-cell one basis. And usually things that happen in one cell are fractalized throughout the whole system. So we can assume that the way that you experience stress uh, psychologically could be exactly the same way that you experience light stress, for example, in that case. Mm. And when you talk about stress and the nervous system, then you have to understand that the nervous system has different states. So you mentioned the yes. sympathetic nervous system. We also have the parasympathetic nervous system, and we have the efferent or the outgoing limb, and we have the afferent or the ingoing limb, mm. which is basically signals from the brain to the body or the body to the brain, which basically creates four quadrants, which are flow, fight, flight, and freeze. Yes. I'm glad you mentioned so, the freeze because most people miss that one. Yeah. Yes. 
So a lot of people think that the freeze is on the sympathetic side, but it's actually an afferent parasympathetic dorsal vagus nerve. So it's our most primitive survival mechanism, which is basically playing dead, waiting for the stress Mm -hmm. to go away. So Mm -hmm. there's lots of conditions associated with an excess freeze response, which is in my uh, something like a, a depression or chronic fatigue, you tend to be more in that freeze. Mm-hmm. The reason why it feels so uncomfortable to come out and start healing from that is because you have to go through the flight and then the fight to get back to the flow. So you see that, again, this is just kind of like uh, on the theoretical level, but just patterns I've seen is that people who have things like chronic fatigue, they're very quick to be abrasive and say, you don't know what you're talking about, or they have a very specific um trait and it's not necessarily them it's just the, their nervous system has become very protective because it knows every time that they either trust to do something somebody else says or they try and do something new it lands them back in the freeze mm. so it, it's a protective mechanism and you see this freeze state in the energy production so the mitochondria stop working and actually there's different states of mitochondria that that robert navio talks about as well So when I work with people from a movement perspective, it's realizing that first thing that you have to do is accept the state that you're in. So I allow people to um, build awareness in the state that they're in. And that looks, it looks like breathing and moving, but there's very specific cues that I'm giving and allowing them to connect to certain muscles in a specific way. And by doing so, they're building the the flow. So the breathing that I get them to do is very relaxed. I don't let them pause. So we call it the Swami breath. And you can find this on my friend Richard Aceves' YouTube channel. Um, you basically inhale through your nose, exhale through your lips, but you don't pause. And as you inhale, you create tension with certain muscles. And as you exhale, you release tension through your body. And doing this, it basically allows you to reconnect to your body in a flow state. So finding pleasure in connecting to your body as opposed to pain or discomfort or fear or all of these other emotions that people go through. And by taking people through these states, they begin to strengthen their capacity to fight, which is what you were talking about. So um, from a very, again, principled perspective, if you have an autoimmune condition, it means that you're misplacing or misdirecting the fight. It should go, there's something out in the environment, you need to fight outwardly, but there's an afferent signal for whatever reason you suppress the fight So you start fighting internally, and then we get into kind of like psychiatric uh, Freud psychoanalysis, these kind of things. But I think there is a very um, measurable link between these things that we don't measure at the moment, but I'm sure will come in that if you don't express yourself outwardly, either fight, whatever, just how you feel, then you start suppressing, and then that manifests as stress inwardly. And that stress mm. inwardly is just is, is trapped in the body. It's just energy that needs to be expressed. Um, and the number of um, ex-military and ex-servicemen, policemen that I've heard of recently that have had seen terrible things and then they come back and then, oh, my joints are hurting. And then years go by and then they have a psoriatic arthritis or a rheumatoid arthritis or something where the, the joints are not working properly. Um, yeah. My intuition is, again, I don't want to sound too crazy for my conventional colleagues, but the body is telling that person, 
stop going out and being active because last time you did this, you saw something terrible. It caused so much stress that mm -hmm. it was overwhelming. So we don't want that yeah. to happen again. So we want to keep you safe. We want to keep your joints nice and inflamed so you don't get up and you sit there and you come to terms with what you've seen and then then you can begin to start to heal um i gave away all my secrets there <laughs> i hope you're enjoying today's episode with dr ed please do head down into the show notes to follow him follow his work and I wanted to also mention that I have a ton of free resources. If some of the things that we're talking about in this show are interesting to you, I have a bunch of free guides, five free eBooks that you can download and get started on this information for free. I also have a bunch of courses. You can always use the code podcast to save 10% on those. My 21 day leptin course is a fantastic course to get started with. If you want a comprehensive look at your lifestyle and your nutrition, how all of these things will give you a good baseline support if you're struggling with some of these issues. And again, follow Dr. Ed, follow his resources. And thank you. I hope you're enjoying the show. Let's jump back in. I love it. I mean, on my end, I know you work with a lot of men in that population you just spoke about, but the my big population is Hashimoto's, a huge, mm -hmm. huge uh, population of Hashimoto's ladies. That's what I get. I mean, I got a message just before this. I probably get a message every day. Do you have programs for Hashimoto's? Do you work with Hashimoto's people? And I don't have a specific Hashimoto's protocol. I have my leptin protocol and people with Hashimoto's go through it and see tremendous results, but it's not specific for Hashimoto's. And then a lot of those Hashimoto's ladies need to do some nervous system uh, healing to get to the next level. So I'll have them come do the program and then say, hey, here's some nervous system healing that I think you need to integrate. And I think, again, the nervous system work and what... I teach about light and water and cellular hydration, deuterium, all that really goes together really well. But I'm just, you know, can be overwhelming the amount of people coming now with the Hashimoto's. And if you go like the functional route, it's this herb, this herb, this herb, this herb, detox, you know, like diet. And we never get to the level of, you know, the piece that I talk about. Um, with leptin and light and all that. And then they never get to the nervous system piece. And that's my biggest qualm right now, I think with functional medicine, trying that out with my daughter, because I was getting nowhere with uh, allopathic medicine until I got this, you know, the chief of neurology on board and we actually got somewhere uh, to a diagnosis. But I went there with her and we spent, you know, thousands of dollars on testing and testing and we need to, and then they were trying to give me like 60 different supplements for her. And I just was like, yeah, I'm, I'm super, I think that some of that, cause it sounds like maybe you do some of that in your practice, some of the like functional testing, but I'm just so tired of it, of like, that's like, this is it. You have mold, you have Lyme, you have Bartonella, you have this, you have this. And I'm like, but why? But why do all these people have these conditions when other people live in the same house with all the mold and they don't have it? It has to be something to do with the nervous system and the robustness of the mitochondria and the body where certain people get all these viruses and <clears throat> have all these issues and they're coming up on all these functional tests and other people don't. So I know that was like a lot that I just... <laughs> 
threw at you there. I, I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, no, I mean, I wanted to, so the whole, you you get the perspective of the person that you go to is what I will say. Um, yeah. And the way that I've come to learn from Dr. Ted uh, and a few others is by having a framework and having your guiding values and principles. So if you come to see me, I'm not, I, I don't market myself as somebody that treats Hashimoto's or, or anything. I don't right. diagnose or treat any condition. Right. My goal is to optimize your health by mm. turning over all of the stones. I'll do the functional tests, but the goal is not to fix anything. It's just to say, you need these raw materials in Sports. your body. If you are going to be a healthy person, mm -hmm. then specific things will come on top of that. Um, in, in your case, I'm super glad that you got that diagnosis for your daughter in the end. And, and this is the problem with, if you go to a psychiatrist, you go to somebody because there's a problem with um, behavior or mood. And if you go to a neurologist, you go because there's a structural or, um, uh, or, or, or organic neurological problem. Right. But but there is a crossover between those two. So there, there used to be the field of neuropsychiatry, which for some reason yes. has kind of been washed away yep. because people like to silo information. Yeah. Um, it's very you, over. I mean, it's very related, though. Yeah. The, the number of people, unfortunately, that end up in um, the ER or A&E over here, and they have a psychiatric manifestation of a biological problem. Yes. I imagine is very significant. The problem is... Yes. Um, we're very in psychiatry for some reason, we're very slow to look for biological answers. Yes. Um, and Chris Palmer's doing some great um pioneering work on this, at least from uh, from speaking out about it. In that, yes, we need to manage our mitochondria, we need to manage our nutrients, we need to manage our light, mm -hmm. we need to manage all of these things. It, it took a neurologist to do that test to find the answer that you needed to find. If you'd have gone to a psychiatrist and maybe you did, it, there's a we level did. of we diagnostic did. overshadowing based on pre-existing pre conditions. And rather than seeing those pre-existing conditions as a risk factor for something like a, an autoimmune encephalitis, it was, it was missed. It wasn't done. So even when I worked in psychiatry um, and I worked on the dementia ward, I sent bloods for no one ever does this in the UK, but I sent the B vitamin <laughs> bloods. Mm -hmm. And um, there's a, a condition called pellagra, which is a B3 niacin deficiency. And mm. it causes dementia, um, wow. skin irritation, and diarrhea. And wow. I mean, most patients on a dementia ward have all of those things. Yes. But we don't test for those things. And lo and behold, this patient had a B vitamin deficiency. I'm not saying that they had a B vitamin deficiency that led them to their dementia, dementia, but they have dementia and they have a skin irritation and they have diarrhea now. So by giving them B vitamins, maybe we can start to at least reduce their suffering in mm -hmm. a potentially a late stage of life. Yeah. Um, it's, it's realizing that you, as long as you have a framework to work with, again, the people that want your help, and the framework is based not on showing them your ego or like, mm -hmm. oh yeah, I do this specific test. It's just if if you, the biggest thing I found in in medicine is trust. So mm -hmm. if the person coming to work with you trusts you and doesn't question every step of the way, why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? And they're willing to just be open, try what you recommend. 
And most of those people, lo and behold, start to feel better because mm. they have somebody in their in their corner, so to speak, who is caring for them, providing them with um, fairly harmless uh, advice, and they follow it and they start to get better. So I can't even remember where we came from to get to this part of the conversation, but I feel like I said all I wanted to say on that part. Yeah, I, I love, I mean, there's so many things there. I, I just feel the whole psychiatry thing, because having gone through that with my daughter, we're <clears throat> going through her basically experiencing psychosis and all this other, I mean, it's pretty terrifying to go through. And I knew in my gut, I'm like, this is autoimmune. This is something to do with, like, I knew it was an autoimmune thing. And, uh, but psychiatry, they just are like, no, she needs antipsychotics. She needs this. Let's suppress it. Let's suppress it. It's, you're just, you just need to send her away to the psych ward. That's it. And just kind of going through that experience and knowing that that wasn't it because we would we tried some antipsychotics as we got to that point of desperation and she got way worse, like way, way worse. Um, I just it just brought me to this whole new level of uh, compassion and like wanting to understand for others as well. And then wanting to eventually speak out on it um, of how many people, like you mentioned, have some sort of a. Um, biological issue going on in the body, nervous system issue going on in the body that's manifesting as um, psychosis, depression, uh, bipolar, schizophrenia. Everyone has ADHD now. If I get one more message about ADHD or see one more ADHD post on Instagram, I'm going to lose my mind because I'm like, okay, your, your doctor says you have ADHD. So what are you going to, what's, what are you going to do about it? You want to go take Adderall? Do you want to go take medication? And if you can and it do it helps you, great. But like, isn't that a signal for you to look a little bit deeper within your biology, within your mitochondria? Isn't that doesn't that to you set off some sort of an alarm, you know, to 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 take a deeper look at, at what's going on? Yeah, I mean, uh, the ADHD thing is a real um problem so in in the uk they have they used to have specialist clinics um in psychiatry that only certain adhd psychiatry consultants could could uh give somebody the diagnosis of adhd Mm. there's there's now such a waiting list and over subscription to those um clinics they've removed the clinic as far as locally so now it comes down to um the standard psychiatrists and juniors such as myself who've never run an ADHD uh, assessment clinic before. Um, They've got maybe a two-year waiting list sometimes plus. So now you're waiting. Now the the GP I spoke to this morning, now they're starting to manage that in GP. But actually she was saying, which is um, promising to me and goes back to the the conversation we were having earlier, is a lot of those... um, Patients, they say, cool, I'm happy that you've told me this is probably ADHD. I mean, it's just a label at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the symptom is you have difficulty focusing because you're in a hyper-aroused state. Yes. Um, they are happy to know that that is potentially the problem. And a lot of people now don't want the medications because they've heard mm. how it impacts your hair. They've heard it impacts mm-hmm. your cardiovascular system in the long term. Um so I think again, the the more there becomes a a difficult 
the difficulty to find out what the problem is from the conventional system, there will need to be people like ourselves offering other solutions because the conventional yes. system just doesn't have time to, okay, how are you eating? How are you sleeping? Are you spending time outside? All of these things. I, I, I truly believe it is our job to be doing that. And if we can get it right, we can hopefully communicate with the 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 GPs and family doctors around those topics because yeah knowing me if I was a GP and seeing so many uh, patients every day and I was I wish I could give them two hours of my time like I do with some of my clients I would love it if somebody came along said don't worry I'll do it and and then they come back in a year and say yeah I'm feeling much better I can focus I my symptoms aren't as bad I don't need medication um I didn't want medication anyway there's obviously going to be people who who want the medication um, yeah. and the conversation could be had about the risk um, versus the benefits. And again, if they still choose with with consent, then that's that's always up to them. But um, for the people that, that are coming to people like myself or yourself who don't want to go the standard route, I think... There, there are solutions, and part of my my goal um, overall is to just show people that there are solutions outside of the ones they've heard of before. Even if I don't know them, we'll go find them together, or we'll find somebody that has them, and then we can work it out. I think giving people hope is uh, is an important part of the work that we do. Mm-hmm. 100%. I mean, because when you've been in a dark situation with your health, and you have been told this medication is the only thing that's going to help you end of story. You're going to live with this condition forever, which is what unfortunately happens. And I, like I've said, I don't believe that doctors go to medical school to do this to people. It's the way that our system is set up. They have to see all these patients in a day. They don't have the time to go the extra steps, do the extra research and implement some of these more natural. It's just a system that's really sets everyone up for failure. But when you're in the place of the patient, you know, in the last year with my daughter, we've been through some very dark times, just very scary, very dark times. It's like, you know, you're looking for that little glimmer of hope. You're looking for that crack in the door, that little bit of light. So you can just run through it. I think people are just looking for that and they're they're more open to it these days because like you mentioned, they're starting to to consider the risks of these suppressive therapies, of these suppressive medications, of how is this going to impact the rest of my body, the rest of my life, you know? And so yeah, I think continuing these conversations is is crucial. Um the whole ADHD thing that I that you just mentioned is people being stuck in this hyper arousal state. I don't think people talk about it. it's just like this is a diagnosis. Here's your label, you know. Um, but looking deeper, looking like what is that? What's going on with your nervous system? I think that's important too, because like you've mentioned, you can address that through some of this movement work that you do, right? Yeah, so the so the neuroscience PhD that I'm doing at the moment is on lactate metabolism in the brain. And mm-hmm. um this so as I was reading the papers um as far back as 2020, I think, maybe even earlier, is seeing that there was even there's papers that describe how the movement of lactate in and out of the brain and differences in that 
seemed to be a way that people with ADHD could self-medicate or that that would be a mechanism by which they have an increased sense of needing to be doing something physical. Mm. And this comes back to a mismatch between society and um, the individual, because in times gone by, going back to our evolutionary history in uh, caveman times, the, those children who had lots of energy, they would have just run around, maybe joined the hunt. They would have gone yeah. and climbed trees. They, but now in society, they have to sit down and learn a specific thing because that's how um, mm -hmm. we've been mm -hmm. we've been building the system. So we mm -hmm. create the ADHD diagnosis by just mm -hmm. telling the child to sit down and read. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're not a reader. Maybe they're a fighter. Maybe they're a whatever they want to do. Mm -hmm. um, and that again, it comes back of suppression of what the the body actually wants to do. So. Yeah. Um, the movement of lactate is, is very interesting. So I got into this because there were studies that showed that in, um, in people with panic disorder, if you look at the brain's lactate concentration changes over time, even if it's just in the visual cortex, you see an increased um, area under the curve of lactate production in the brain compared to a healthy individual. And when I think lactate, I think exercise because lactate mm -hmm. can be produced by exercise, but it can also be oxidized by mitochondria if you do the right type of exercise too. And the brain and the body are connected by blood vessels. So if you can change the lactate concentration in your body, then you can change it in your brain. And mm -hmm. it depends on the kind of training and the movement and all of this stuff with very specific parameters that you do, which led me down uh, the path of very... Um, personalized exercise prescriptions which mm, links into yeah. the work that i do with um with richard at moved academy and i'm building a course on on lactate metabolism and how to leverage it as a coach mm. um because there's this guy called inigo san milan who's um one of the biggest guys in in lactate metabolism and he works with the tour de france cyclist teams and he's always on peter atia's podcast talking about lactate because mm. peter loves that kind of thing and um don't tell Jack. No, I know. Um, <laughs> but I've seen Jack's been talking about lactate in the brain recently because he was shouting at uh, Carnivore Aurelius, I think. Um, oh, gosh. <laughs> <there is. laughs> um, where were, oh, yeah, Inigo Samuelan. And he actually, um, there's a conference that he attended with a poster that he had a patient with bowel cancer, stage four or stage three, and mm. he... He did um, lactate threshold cyclist testing to look at his um, lactate uh, production under increasing load of stress, which is what's on a bike. And based on that, he gave him a, an exercise prescription. You need to cycle at this pace for this many days a week. And the goal was to reduce lactate because we know that lactate is a fuel for cancer cells. And um, it was used as an adjuvant um, to his chemotherapy and the story was that he got rid of his bowel cancer and it's just a really small paper you wouldn't like I just came across it because I was reading everything I could about lactate and I thought well this is amazing it's something that we can measure in the blood you can change it with specific um, types of exercise and it's related to all sorts of it, in the brain it's related to anxiety and panic disorder it's related to schizophrenia, depression in certain areas of the brain, in the body. 
um, is linked to cancer. If you have too much, you're going to start to develop heart failure, all of these things. So it was a... It was interesting enough for me to want to do a PhD in it. Let's say that. Mm, fascinating. I'm really excited to see what comes of that PhD and how much more you're able to help people beyond what you're already helping them. Because I think this is a very interesting area that a lot of people aren't really looking into, like you've mentioned. Yeah, I yeah. I always question whether I should talk about it because then somebody might steal my idea. Because I, <laughs> I wrote a paper that got published in... August, I think. And then there was one that was published with basically the same title in September of the same year that was on the same thing, just out of a Chinese uh, lab. So um, I'm assuming it was a real paper, but now with the whole AI thing, I'm like, how I know. could people just recreate these um, totally and falsify the data very quickly? So it's always something to pay attention to if something seems too good to be true don't take it at face value these days i think that's also yeah. important and, and find in the whole ai age finding humans that you trust with your health is going to be much more important than just asking chat gpt which is now making a lot of sloppy errors because it's learning from the people that use it and the people that use it don't necessarily know what they're looking for in the first place yeah, I think that we always have to keep that human element element in no matter what. And it's, uh, yeah, it's scary times because people are regurgitating things from other people. They're copying, pasting. And I, you know, I always tell people, find what resonates for you. Never just kind of go into things blindly and buy it because you're emotionally, um, in a state where you're vulnerable, take a moment to see if that actually resonates with you. Use a little quantum physics, you know, yeah. and that's people have lost that ability um, to find resonance with a particular person, with a particular thing. And I, I, there's also the state of the nervous system where they're just in that state where they can't find resonance. And so, yeah, we have to. Yeah. <laughs> I've actually, so this is, this is an important thing, I think, because a lot of us, we get stuck in behavioral cycles because of stress, mm -hmm. because of work, because of X, Y, Z. We have certain responsibilities. We all have them. I think when it comes down to making these, not necessarily big life choices, but uh, should I work with this person or should mm -hmm. I invest this amount of money into this project? Um, pay attention to the things that you could do. So, for example, going into the middle of nowhere camping or like going into nature for a couple of days, a weekend, a week away with no other people to distract you with no TV, no phone, all of that stuff as a, now I can get rid of all of the stress that I had. I can kind of reset my system away from all of this distraction. And what you were saying about resonating sometimes because you're um, you're overwhelmed by so many inputs. Yes, if you so take yourself away into nature, you can begin to actually feel your your internal sense. So when we do these movement ayahuasca retreats, we tend to take people. So the one we're doing next is in Croatia and we've mm -hmm. got like a private castle and it's on the beachfront and um, it I takes people. Come. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I, there's, no, I don't know if there's a spot left on this one. We've got one in Idaho in uh, June, if you're interested. Well, that's a little more doable for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it, but just taking yourself out of the environment that you are in will allow mm -hmm. you to see things a different way and make these decisions 
more easily because sometimes the decisions that you make when you're still under the same stress will feed the same behaviors that you've Loop. been exhibiting. Yeah. 100%. Um, yeah. Yeah. I've spoken with Carrie about this a lot on our uh, Quantum Conversations podcast, but for me, since I have reconnected with the sun and moon cycles, the light and dark cycles, something that simple um, and grounding and taking time to go off grid and put my phone down. I can, tr I feel like I can trust my intuition a lot more. It's definitely not perfect, but I literally feel like I'm a completely different person than I was even just three years ago, four years ago, because of this connection I have to seasons and to sun and to dark and, uh, just you know, the electrons that I get from the earth. And so I think even just that simple step, if someone can't necessarily go off grid, because I'm like, I hear about that. I'm like, oh, beautiful and wonderful. But I've got a 15 month old son and a daughter with very significant medical needs right now. I can't even yes. go out for a, a long hike uh, without kind of like, you know, as everyone are right. Um, so I think for anyone who's listening, that's like, okay, that sounds fantastic. I would love to do that. Just start simple and start, you know, connecting with, with the natural cycles that are available to you every single day. And I think that that can help you strengthen that resonance uh, ability to experience resonance and intuition, um, in a small way, at least, would you? Right. Uh, yeah. And the even small or not smaller, but even at the more basic level, the, the cycle that we have constant control over that we always forget is our breath, which is the oh, same yeah. as the day night cycle. So it's the inhale and it's the exhale, which is, it's a, an oscillating loop. So you have access to that. So again, the, the Swami video uh, on YouTube, if you, if you can't get out of the house, if you can't get uh, away into nature, put yourself in a room, play a nice playlist and just try the breathing for 15, 20 minutes and see how, or other breath work, it doesn't necessarily matter, but I would recommend trying the Swami. It will. Where can they find that again? Cause I know I'll get people messaging me and asking yeah, it's, to clarify. So it's on my friend Richard Aceves's YouTube. I'll send you the link after, maybe you can put it okay. in the show yes, notes. Yes, I'll put it in the show notes for people because I know they're going to message me. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Yeah. Um, it's basically you inhale, you contract um, certain muscle groups and you exhale and you relax. And it basically allows you to start becoming in tune with the tension in your body. And once you start mm -hmm. to accept the tension, then you can start to release the tension. And then afterwards, you'll feel different, uh, rejuvenated. Maybe you might feel tired. That's probably because you're not sleeping well. So you need to go to sleep. Mm -hmm. It will mm -hmm. show you the things that you're missing, or it will give you awareness of your body state now. And that mm -hmm. is building the flow state, which is exactly the same with the other things that you've just mentioned, without needing to go too far. You can just lie down in your own body. Mm, I love that. Well, this has been a fantastic conversation. There's just so many different nuggets, I think, that are going to be really helpful for people. And again, like you said, offering that, that element of hope, um, because I think that gets lost so much in, mm -hmm. in conversation. So I really appreciate this. And um, where can people find you if they want to follow your work or possibly even work with you, go to some of these retreats? What's the best way to do that? Yeah. So if you want to reach out to me, I'm uh, at Dr. Ed Caddy on Instagram, which is probably the place I'm most active. Mm. I'm on Twitter, I think as Dr. Ed Caddy as well. I have a website, which is dredcaddy.com, or you can email me at uh, ed at Um 
and the retreats uh their movement ayahuasca so i don't even know if that website still exists i think it does mm. but just ask me dm me on okay. instagram or whatever i'm i'm fairly friendly um perfect always happy Wonderful. to chat with people well, I'll make sure to put all those links in the show notes for people. And um, thanks again for coming on today. It's been a really wonderful chat. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great. I hope you enjoyed today's show with Dr. Ed. Please do make sure to follow him and his work. I do think he's going to have some really amazing things coming up in the next year or two or more. So again, head to the show notes, check out his work. If you enjoyed the show and you're on YouTube, please leave us a like, a comment. If you're on Apple or Spotify, head on over to those platforms, leave the show up to a five-star review. It really will help to continue to spread this information to more and more people. If you found it interesting, share it with a friend, a family member, in a Facebook group, on Instagram, tag me, tag Dr. Ed. We would love to hear from you. We just love to continue to share information in this way so that it can reach and help more people. Before we sign off, let's thank again Viva Rays for sponsoring today's show. My code there to save 15% on their circadian glasses is Yogi and Upgraded Formulas. If you are curious about the mineral balance in your body, their hair tissue mineral analysis with a consultation is a great way to dive deeper into that. And they have a fantastic magnesium supplement that I personally use and love. Thank you again for listening and I will see you again next week. 